Welcome to electionspeakers.com, a nonpartisan analysis of the speaking skills of major political candidates and others affecting your voting decisions. Here are your hosts for electionspeakers.com, Lori Schloff and Dr. Dennis Becker. Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Dennis Becker, and this is electionspeakers.com, the place to hear unique critique of the speaking styles of candidates and others who are part of this presidential campaign. Today is September 15th, 51 days before E-Day, Election Day, gets here. So we're talking with you today about the things that have happened in this past week and the speakers who have been talking to all of us in this past week. And I'm happy to have with me uh, three guests, three professional speech coaches with me today. From right to left around your radio dial right next to me is a professional speech coach, Laverne Gosby. Laverne, welcome. Thank you, Dennis. Next to Laverne is our old standby co-host, <laughs> uh, author, professional speech coach, Lori Slaff. Lori. Hello, Dennis. And around the radio dial next to me is soon-to-be author and professional speech coach, Ethan Becker. Welcome, Ethan. Great in to be here live. In, in person. person again. In person. In person. It's hard to get me here, but I am here today. I and he's very it. handsome. Ethan, well, is, Ethan is usually on the road with clients, so it's nice to have you here in the studio with us. Now, today... Uh, unlike last, the last couple of weeks, of course, today we have not had a convention prior to our show. So we've had a, but boy, that didn't say, there was nothing to talk about, right? There were a <laughs> lot of things to talk about. And today's program, we have many, many topics that we want to get into. Uh, and I'm going to ask Lori to run through a couple of the quick topics, and then we'll get started. Sure. So many topics, even though you're right. The excitement of the conventions is over, and now maybe we're getting to know the real candidates, the candidates unplugged from their teleprompters, maybe, though a couple of them still probably haven't gone off script. Well, we had a few things to look at. A very important, solemn, and painful day for America is always 9-11. On that day, the candidates... Uh, came together at Ground Zero and also participated in a, an event with a wonderful purpose, the Service Forum. I'll be interested in hearing uh, about what you thought of Obama and McCain at the Service Forum. Then we have the interview watched by more Americans than any other interview, which is Vice Presidential Candidate Sarah Palin with Charlie Gibson. My colleagues have so much to talk about. The gestures of the candidates, the use of language. Have we heard enough yet about lipstick, everybody? As much as I love it, maybe we've had enough of it in politics. So let me start with asking my colleagues, what event stood out to you? What candidate stood out to you for good or for bad as a speaker? What thoughts do you have about McCain, Obama, Palin, and did we hear anything from Biden? Well, maybe one gaffe, but that's all I can remember. Anybody want to begin? What do you mean one gaffe from Biden? What was the gaffe? Mm, a gaffe that was widely repeated, and actually I thought he handled it beautifully. He told a congressperson in a wheelchair, uh, get up, Joe, and let's give you, give you a round of applause. He yeah. then realized the person was paralyzed from the waist down and said, oh, my gosh, God love you. Everybody else get up and give Joe a round of applause. Handled pretty well, I thought. Yeah, I didn't think that was a gaffe. I thought because he handled it well, it wasn't a gaffe. I mean, if he, had, if he had not said anything, then I think everybody would be all over him. But we haven't really heard people saying, oh, Biden, you hear what he did? He, because he handled it very well. 
and I thought that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, handling things well when it's uncomfortable. No one's going to have a perfect speech or perfect event. So you're absolutely right, Dennis. I, I noticed the uh, mm -hmm. at Obama's interview at Columbia, mm -hmm. which is the service forum on 9/11. Yes, he. I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, but he was deductive with many of his answers, which was contrary to how he mm -hmm. has been in the past. He's been very much giving the background to his responses mm -hmm. and then the answer, but this time around uh, it, was, it was pretty quick, actually, to uh, respond and then give a lengthy explanation. <laughs> I, I think that's what people were... So it looked good for him, actually. It looked good. He got a lot of, a lot of feedback about that specific area. So he was a little quicker on his feet. I wonder if he was in his comfort zone in terms of the topic. After all, he is a guy who's given a lot of service in the community. But we'll talk more about his speaking patterns, mm -hmm. too. Well, he was all, remember, he's also a graduate of Columbia, so he, mm -hmm. he was kind of been on his home turf. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right, Ethan is right. This is the first time, the Service Nation Forum was the first time I saw uh, Obama being as, and Ethan used the word, deductive meaning direct. He was mm -hmm. very direct in his answers, and this has been a criticism that we have had and others have had of him in the past, that his answers tend to be elongated and circuitous mm -hmm. and difficult to follow. And, and then on the other side, people say, well, yeah, but he's thoughtful and he's insightful and he doesn't just give you bland answers. Well, uh, this time he did come in direct, yes, no, and so forth. Then he explained it. So he was a lot more like uh, McCain in that way, and I thought that was a good thing mm. for him. Laverne, your thoughts about the forum, 9-11? Uh, well, I was going to do something on in general uh, for the past week. What sticks out to me most is about the sound bites, that the lipstick on a pig statement was all we heard about when Obama had a very good message to deliver to us. And so the sound bites are taking control. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we don't stick to the message. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get back to I that. I think that's a good point. And I, I, have, I, t I took a lot of notes about the media mm -hmm. and how they cover it. I think it would be interesting for us to share with some of our listeners how that works. I mean, we do so much work with professional candidates, with, mm -hmm. the, with presidential candidates, with, with media over the years. We know a lot about it. We could talk a little bit about to how that works. Absolutely. For our Why sound bites take over? Right, go ahead, Ethan. Let, let, while we're well, a couple things uh, that that I took note on. Uh, okay, so there's been a lot of talk at the Republican convention. Well, in the speeches, actually, uh, directly attacking the media as being liberal. And so, how do you know that? How do you know, as a listener, if if you're watching television, if it is a liberal or a conservative commentator? And before we tell you the answer, just think about it to yourself. I mean, how do you know when you're listening? Why do you think, oh, this person's totally off on the left or on the right? Well, you can hear it in things like the tone of their voice. You, you mean hear in it relation to who they're interviewing? In relationship to who they're interviewing. Yeah. So if, uh, it, yeah, if they're interviewing... Let's, let's say you're, you're an interviewer and you're on um, McCain. Okay, if you're on McCain, you, yeah. okay, and you're mm -hmm. talking to me mm -hmm. about uh, change in Washington, as an mm -hmm. interviewer... I can say a lot about mm -hmm. whether I believe you or not, whether mm -hmm. I think you're telling me the truth or not, by my facial expressions, the tone in my voice, the way I phrase a question. And the reason that that matters is because for somebody who's watching television at home, well, I mean, television has so much power to it that, hey, well, you know, if they said it on TV, it must be true, right? So there's so much power and there's no way for you to interact with the television set. Mm -hmm. We just assume it's true. So even though I'm not the one talking, if you're McCain and mm -hmm. I'm interviewing you and you're talking, 
the, the paralanguage, which, which is another way of saying the language I have, my facial expressions, mm -hmm. tone of voice that I'm giving to you, if that's caught on camera, can send a very important message to listeners. Right. As a matter of fact, um, a colleague of mine said last night, did you see how Charlie Gibson looked condescending with Sarah Palin? Now, I'm, saying, I'm not saying that was absolutely accurate. That was my colleague's perception of Charlie Gibson. Let's get back to these very um, important, significant events. Any comments on how McCain's doing? Remember, he had a reputation for not being good as a speaker in front of thousands. How is he doing on the, in the one-on-one -on -one interviews? My snapshot opinion of him is he really does a heck of a lot better job when he is one-on-one -on -one than when he is in front of thousands of people. He's calm. His voice is relatively pleasant. As people were mentioning before, he gets to the point. He seems kind of like an uncle that you might like to have around the table. So how did he do with the service forum? And any other comments about McCain this week? He's certainly one of the folks we have to keep our eyes on. Yeah, the Service Nation Forum was actually a good opportunity for, for all of us to see both of them uh, since Saddleback. Mm -hmm. This is the first time we've seen them separately since the Saddleback uh, interviews. And they were different. Both of them were different. Now, I, uh, I took the opportunity to, because we've often said that Obama is a much more animated speaker, yes. and McCain is so dull, and so forth and so on. Right. I took the opportunity to actually count the number of words they averaged in a minute, Beautiful. both of them. And it's a very interesting thing. McCain, and it changed a little bit, there were two speeds. Both of them had two speeds. McCain had that sort of, what you were just talking about, Lori, that uh, sort of slow... Uh, my aged uncle sound, you know, where he was averaging 125 to 130 words per minute. Is that on the slow side, Dennis? That's on the slow side. Mm -hmm. Now, when he got excited, when he got excited and he talked faster, we could all see that he was animated, he was at a rate of 170 to 180 words per minute. Holy, okay? just curious, because I, I know our listeners would want to know, how, how do you count them? How well, do you, as you a coach, take, count it's, them? It's very okay. simple, really. Yeah. You just take your stopwatch and you yeah. time a guy talking or a speaker talking for one minute, 60 seconds. Then you stop. And, of course, you've got to do this with tape. You stop tape, and then you count the mm -hmm. number of words who were said in that particular yep. minute. Or and for those of us in, uh, in this other generation, uh, you can type as he's talking. Uh, and uh, if you're a fast typer, <laughs> you, that's uh, it. you type and write the words out. And then when uh -huh. he's done, same thing, you time it. When you're done, you go back and you just go into Microsoft Word and choose Word Count. Oh, I it love it. I love it. Well, this so there's is option A and option B. Listeners may want to do this if they'd like to get into analysis. More of this, well, Dennis. What say, else? I would say if, you, yeah. if this, this, this work doesn't work out for yeah. you, Ethan, you've got a job as a court stenographer. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, they, hey, some right, days so that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Right, fine. There's so two things I, that need to be typed, Ethan. So I do it the old-fashioned way, okay? Either now, way, it gets you the count. When I look at Obama... <laughs> Obama's slow side, interesting. When he was slow, sort of what we would all consider slow, sort of being contemplative and thoughtful, a lot of what he did at Saddleback and got criticized for. When he's on the slow side, his slow side is very similar to McCain, hmm. 120 to 125 words per minute, very close. His excited side, his faster speed of speaking, this is interesting, which he does much more frequently it is 150 to 160 words per minute. Now, what that says is that there's a dramatic difference between McCain 
when he is slow and when he is fast. I mean, it's a really a dramatic mm. difference. Obama tends to spend more of his time in that more up-speed, upbeat sound of 150 to 160 words per minute. So he tends to come across as a guy who is, mm -hmm. and this is true with all speakers, the faster, the louder you speak, you often are seen to be much more authoritative mm -hmm. as a speaker. This is something that we work with our clients. Not always, obviously. So we, we tend to think that Obama has uh, more to say. Whether you agree with what it is or not is not the object of this show. We're just counting the way in which these things were said. Now, in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about gestures. Yeah, that, that is really mm -hmm. fascinating. Certainly one of the things I've talked a lot about with colleagues in the field in my training is as a speech and language pathologist is the slow ramp-up time Obama can have, he did a lot better during the National Service Forum, but a very slow ramp-up time in terms of getting his sentences started. And what speech experts are talking a lot about is the fact that he might use sounds like uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh uh, 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 repeatedly, making the listener quite uncomfortable. I've talked to with a lot of lay people who are very uncomfortable listening to his answers. He'll then start a sentence, he ramps up a little bit in terms of speed, and then, and then, and then repeats... So how can First somebody few fix that? Phrases. Somebody who's who's having a hard time. How would we how help, help Obama if he if he called us right now to ask? We'd help him first and foremost to get the concept of starting his sentences with real words. words. Real <laughs> right. words. As opposed to an um or an ah. Uh. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So let's just start there. You know, uh, so much of what we see is visual. So I do want to get into the topic of. How, how, do, how are Obama, I just did what I was yeah. saying Obama did, repeating the phrases. You know, so the, how are Laura, they coming I, across? I don't mean to interrupt mm -hmm. you, but on Please. that same thought of mm -hmm. the uh-uh-umming, uh, which by the way yeah. we call vocalized pauses, uh, uh, uh. some people call them fillers, I mean mm -hmm. the correct name is vocalized pauses. They are pauses in the speaking which get filled with the vocalization, yeah. uh, er, um, ah, uh, and then sometimes people actually add words like, like like, 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 or you know, or mm -hmm. right, or okay. Anyway, uh, he has changed, and as we all saw in the Service mm -hmm. Nation Forum, he was better with that. Mm -hmm. Now, the average, now here's the average. When we saw him on Saddleback, yeah. the average number of vocalized pauses per minute, now he didn't do it the whole hour, but when he was doing it, on average, he would do, in a minute, he would do somewhere in the vicinity of seven to nine of them every minute. Yikes. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, on the Service Nation forum, however, that changed from four to six per minute. So he has cut down on it. They're still there. They're still obvious. But he is attempting, apparently, to control it because everybody's talking about how annoying it gets. Mm -hmm. And uncomfortable. Excellent. So we know that many of us are watching TV clips, and it's uh, whether or not we like someone or even whether we vote for them can depend on their visual image. I know my colleagues have a lot to say about gestures, what we do with our hands. Folks, I'm going to throw it out. What do you think of the candidate's gestures? Well, I'll talk about, uh, yes, let's talk about Service Nation Forum because that was an obvious one for all mm -hmm. of us. And this was, and it's it's an interesting thing because gestures happen differently in those, as you were saying, those uh, those town meeting forms, those open, big stand up, walk around. It's all improv kind of thing. They happen differently there than they do in those set, formal, sit down, service nation, saddleback, saddleback, <laughs> uh, meet the press, mm -hmm. face the nation kind of settings. Okay, except for Obama. 
This is a guy whose gestures are almost always like this. Now, here's an interesting thing. Now, I want you to watch for this in the future. Right. He does, he has the propensity to do something that we call band leading. Yes. Now, what does that mean? It means that, what, well, let's figure that out. What's a band leader do? When the band leader moves his hands around or her hands around, the band plays. When the band stops playing, it's because the band leader isn't doing anything. This is what he does. When, now, watch him. When he talks, he gestures. When he doesn't talk, he doesn't, doesn't gesture. So his gestures accompany his thinking almost all the time. If I put a percentage on it, it's going to be easily 85 to 90% of the time when he is talking, he is gesturing. Are you saying this is a criticism? Because I thought he's been applauded for his incredible well, I mean, what's criticism? I'm saying it as an, delivery. Obs uh, as an so you're observation. Not, it's neither criticism no, it's not, nor It's not positive compliment. or negative. I'm just observing yeah. that this is what he does. To some people, that would, they would say, well, he looks animated. Others would say, it's annoying. He's nervous. But I'm making it as an observation. Yeah, I think he in, does in it. those smaller settings, those interview settings, I think it comes across as authoritative. Mm. If he were in a formal presentation setting, standing up in front of a large group and doing it, I think it would be more of a distraction. But he so, does it when he's with the large groups. He does it with any large group. It's his way. I think he just feels free. He's comfortable moving around. And, and he can move around. I mean, as opposed to McCain, who does yeah. have some physical challenges with moving his arms and his hands and so forth. Yeah. And McCain just is a more formal guy, and he doesn't do he doesn't do as much gesturing. Right. I heard an interesting description I'll just throw out, and, and then I want to move on to Governor Sarah Palin. Some commentator described McCain's style as a commander and Obama's style as a constitutional law professor. So just throwing <laughs> that out. Just throwing that out. Let's move on to my favorite communicator of the new millennium, Governor Sarah Palin. Again, not talking about politics. We got to see a heck of a lot more of her than we had in the past through her chosen interviewer, uh, Charles Gibson. So I'm very interested in, did you get a range of impressions of her beyond that you saw in her prepared speeches? This is Laverne. Hi, Laverne. Hi. And when she was in the interview with Charlie Gibson, I saw her use a lot of different gestures, but she was, she was composed. Even when she was sitting, you could see that she was uh, very composed. She had her legs together. She uh, was talking straight, uh, looking straight at Charlie. Mm -hmm. And her, I noticed her eyes as well. She wasn't doing the continuous blinking thing. She was very serious about uh, the information that she was about to give them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also you saw the, her moving around. And even when she was talking to Charlie, you could see that she was very interested, very motivated, passionate about what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, there is no doubt she maintained her status as a likable communicator. Whether you like her politics or not, that's a different story. Any, any you know, it's interesting. I felt, ah, mm -hmm. oh, where to start? Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think it was an uncomfortable interview. And the reason I say that is because the responses were very formal. It, it, it felt very much like these are the standard responses. Now, that's not necessarily good or bad. In politics, in fact, it's drilled. When we coach folks, you know, it's drilled into them that answer, the, answer what you want. Because the media, the, the interviewer will often try to ask you a question to try to sort of get you mm -hmm. to throw you off track and that kind of thing. So, and that's not easy because if you think about it, if this were you, if you're someone listening to the show today and you, I'm interviewing you and I ask you a question 
the, your initial response is going to be to answer exactly what I say, no matter how I frame or phrase the question. Well, in politics, if you do that, you can very easily get yourself stuck into saying something that you didn't really say or didn't really mean. So, so politicians are trained to answer however they want, no matter what the question is asked. And that, that sometimes can come back to bite you, like with the, with the Bush doctrine. So, okay, so it was pretty clear she wasn't as familiar with what it is he was referring to exactly or the context of it. And she went and asked for clarification. And he saw a perfect opportunity for a, to say, oh, well, what do you think it means? Which is in context with a lot of sort of the media saying, hey, is she experienced? Does she know this stuff? It was one of those set up questions. She came back. She had a response. It wasn't necessarily a response a lot of people were, were looking for. It was composed, very formal, very talking point like yeah but again doesn't she face the danger ethan if she's too informal of not being serious enough for the job yet i want to talk about you know those of us who have palin mania based on that she is not again in my opinion the new female communicator of the millennium her facial expression the fact that she wears pretty makeup the fact that she's not afraid to be her own unique style that she appeared with charlie gibson in sort of a what do you call those things? Like a winter kind of jacket that zips up. Uh, the fact that she doesn't have, and I admit, a voice that we've tried to have as a professional female growing up in the 60s and 70s, the deeper voice, that's not her voice. Her voice is a little tighter, it's a little sweeter. And it's, it's sort of a relief to woman, women to have someone who's, I agree with you, content may not be quite natural, but style, what do you think? I thought the style, uh, the style mm -hmm. uh, was not as effective as it could have, should have been from someone mm -hmm. who's a heartbeat away from the presidency. Now, Ooh, okay, now, it's good to hear. Now, this is where I want to point to one yeah. particular question, and that was the question that Gibson had on uh, the Israeli attack on Iran, and should uh, the United States support uh, the, the Israelis if they attacked Iran? Okay, I forget how we worded it, but that's the question. We all heard it. Her answer was... Uh, well, we shouldn't second-guess what the Israelis do, da-da-da-da-da. He asked her again. We shouldn't second-guess what the Israelis do, da-da-da-da. I heard that same, not only the same uh, answer, but the same words over and over again. Three times, four times, I don't know how many times she said it. Now, what does that say to me? Now, look, I've coached a lot of politicians over the years, and that says to me, this is a person who was given that answer. Yeah. <clears throat> she yep. knew certain words. Second-guess was the key to that. And she if you don't know, say nothing. That's what you're trained to do. And instead, because you can't print what you never said. Instead, she said the same thing right. over and I over and over. And he knew he had her yeah, there, yeah, and she are. repeated yeah. it. Now, in addition to saying that the same thing over and over, which showed a weakness and a lack of intelligence and knowledge on the subject to me, in addition to that, look at her face. The facial expressions were like, my God, he asked me again. What should I say? Oh, my God, it's the same question. What should I say? Her brain was working, uh -huh. looking for something new, uh -huh. and she couldn't come yeah. up with it. After a while, he realized he was yeah, beating yeah. her up, and he let it go. But that was not a sign of strength and commander to me. One, one, one more fair. thought also on the, on the style perspective is uh -huh. that, I, as you guys know, I do a lot of work internationally around uh -huh. the world, and I work with world leaders. I work with a lot of professionals. And the, the folksy style that we like in America uh, works really well in America and in some foreign environments, but I'll tell you something: it doesn't work in a lot of in in, in certain Southeast Asian areas, certainly in in uh, Arab cultures. That you, you've got to be able to communicate in a way that that the 
the person you're connecting with respects and understands. And this is one of the major, major problems that Bush has in the, the style of communication. That's sort of like, hey, I'm a tough guy. I'm going to come shake your hand. Well, wait a minute. What if it, what if you're meeting with a woman who doesn't touch men? Well, I remember you know? when I was, I was you working. You can't just in ignore the, that I, stuff and I expect was, to be successful in a relationship I was or a working, negotiation. I was working in the Mideast when Bush went to that G8 meeting uh, and he went behind the the uh, the woman from Germany and grabbed her shoulders and gave a little massage. Oh. Do you remember? All remember that? I would I, like yeah. it. She did. I was working there when that happened. The, mm. the, the folks in the Middle East I was working with were like, <gasps> I mean, not only was yeah. a man teaching uh, touching a woman, but it was the level yeah. of you know, intimacy? as you say, is a level of intimacy that in the U.S. and in an orange ranch, he does right. it all the time. Right. We're okay. We see it as, hey, that you're just a normal person, right. and that works here. But when you're on the international stage, it doesn't mean you've got to stiffen up. It means you've got to pay attention, and you've got to respect the culture and uh, adapt to that. Uh -huh. I'm, making, I'm going to make an inference based on what I think I'm hearing you say, Ethan. Are you saying your impression is that Sarah Palin, if elected, would have a lot to learn about her style? Absolutely. To deal with, okay, yes, and, I, and part of it is okay. part of it is in, mm -hmm. you know, I, this is it's not this is not mm -hmm. meant as a dig. It's mm -hmm. it's a it's in her mm -hmm. confidence of who she is as mm -hmm. a woman. I am mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. or as a as an American. I am American. This is the way it is. This is it's not a gender issue. This is a style issue. We see it in a lot of our clients who are especially those who move to international positions in their mm -hmm. companies. And they're trying to develop those business and relationships internationally. One of the challenges is that they've got to learn that, listen, it's not about me. It's about the other person. And if I'm going to connect with them, I've got to do it in a way without distracting. Now, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean she has to suddenly be somebody that she's not. It's a matter of paying attention to the way you're coming across to the other people. Yeah. Can do, she do I, it? I don't know. Maybe we'll see. I don't, know. I I don't think Bush did a very good job of it. No, He's better I, at it now than he was. I want to Clinton, congratulate, of course, her, was congratulate her on one word that she did learn how to use, and she learned how to say Ahmadinejad. Oh! You see, they coached her on <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, you're not bad boy, at it either. she popped it right out there, and it wanted, she wanted to, they must have coached her on how do you say I mean, nobody knows how to say the guy's name. She did a good job. Speaking of words, speaking of words, I don't want to leave the program this week until we talk about the words that were the... The talk of the town. I mean, for goodness sakes, lipstick. Pigs okay. and pit bulls. All right. I'm telling you. But listen to some of these words and then think of what, what they connote. Here are words we've been hearing for the last several weeks. Listen to these words. Lipstick. Red meat. Mm. Hate it. Making stuff up. American people are stupid. Fight. Fight. Stand up. Stand up. What's uppity? Stand up. Uppity. Uppity. What's that? What? Did yeah, I want to learn more about that. I'm telling you, words make a difference, mm -hmm. my friends. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if I hear those guys say that, I'm, I can't tell you. Okay, now it's thanks, but no thanks. I mean, words make a difference. I If we go, and it's not just this election. I Hanging mean, Chad. <laughs> for those of us who can remember it, when... And I won't go into this too much, but when 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 uh, when integration was happening in the '60s, and I recall this very well, there was a the law got passed in the state of Massachusetts mandating what they called compulsory transportation. So they would bus the kids from one school to the next. Well, those who were opposed to it, they didn't call it mandatory transportation. They changed the words. 
that were not in the yeah. law, but they changed it to forced busing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the words forced busing mm -hmm. themselves got people going about yes. it. We're yeah. seeing the same thing these days. Pro-life, pro-abortion. Pro-abortion? Like pro yeah, 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 yeah. You know, pro -life, fight, yeah. stand up, yeah. red meat. What does that connote? What does that connote? The animalistic part of this campaign has been, been just awful. And I'm really disappointed in the way that we're, we're categorizing each other by Let me, words. I can add to this. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, here's an interesting exercise you can do. And mm -hmm. So listen how, how words will have an impact. Sure. As you're watching television this week and you watch interviews, if you don't know the person, block the bottom part of your TV so that you cannot see their name, title, or what they represent. Just listen to their message. When you can't see who they're from, your filter is down. This is an amazing exercise and it's really eye-opening. You'll start either agreeing or disagreeing with them, and then you may be totally shocked to hear that they're presenting on behalf of the view that's not yours, the left or the right. When do you discover that? It's certain language that they use immediately tags them as being towards the left or to the right. Really skilled politicians can avoid that language as long as possible to get you bought into their message. It's yeah, but you know, you one, of, one of the most, uh, the most basic rules of advertising is repeat it, repeat yeah, it, yeah, repeat it. So we're hearing the same words over and over and over yeah. because the, the assumption in advertising right. is, hey, after a while, if they hear it, it must be true. So we're That's hearing right. it, despite Especially, how ludicrous yeah. they are, we're Cer hearing Certainly it. if they say yeah. it on TV, it is true, right? Yeah. Dennis, I wanted to <laughs> echo what you're saying. I, I told my colleagues at the beginning of the show that I felt like I needed a vacation from the election. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Dennis, when you said that some of these words are downers. Um, I have always looked, maybe I'm an idealist from the 60s, but I've always looked to politics to inspire. And I'm hoping... Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm too optimistic that things can change. Let's get back to inspiration. Well, I know why that is though. There's too much there's too much of watch there's too much of it on TV. You see mm -hmm. one event happen in the morning and there's only so many things you can report about it. If you watch all of the news channels all day long, they're all saying same the same thing. thing then same you go home thing. at night and then you you have dinner but you put it on again at night. It's same the same stuff. Thing. Turn it off for a few days and come back to it and you will find those inspirational messages just as they were intended. Good, because I, I felt like um, politics was becoming like, you know, an Inquirer magazine. Yeah. I really, well, I felt a sense of sadness been. and disappointment because it, it really been. is meant to inspire. But that's well, just me. All right. Well, next week we're going to try right. to change that. Let's try to work, move on to real issues. Next week's program, next week's show, next Monday show, mm -hmm. is the is the last show before the first debate. Mm -hmm. So next week we're going to dedicate the show next week to talking about. The, well, who knows what's going to happen this week? We may have other things to talk about, but we want to talk a lot about next week about the debates that are coming up. We're going to have. We're asking uh, our debate expert, Dr. Deborah London, to come with us, and she's going to talk with us about what the debates are, mm -hmm. how they differ, what the different styles mm -hmm. of debate she's, are. She even knows about the history of debates. History Fascinating of debate. stuff. And, and these should will, be more like traditional debates from uh -huh. what we're told so far. And it? we yeah. will also introduce mm -hmm. the scorecard that uh, all of you are, who are listening can download. Just go to the mm -hmm. website and mm -hmm. download electionspeakers.com. Look at the section that says debate. You can download the scorecard, and we'll talk with you next week about the, the elements of judging a debate and how you do that. So that's a large part of next week's program, so we hope that you're going to be with us. We'll have a special announcement, too, about the debate night, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we'll talk about that next week. Right. The first debate, everybody, is September 26th. We are all gearing up for that very, very important event. 
Words matter, delivery matters. Of course, the other piece of it is your politics matter. Put it all together, and each of us has to make a very, very important decision. And that's why we're here, to help you make the decision with this part of it, which is style and not substance. So take a look at it carefully with the things that you're learning from us week after week, and we hope you'll be with us again next week. But until that time, this is Dr. Dennis Becker saying thanks for listening, and bye for now. You've been listening to electionspeakers.com a nonpartisan analysis of the speaking skills of major political candidates and others included in the 2008 U.S. presidential elections. Electionspeakers.com is posted every Monday.